Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We are here once again talking about this week's UFC card going down at... T-Mobile Arena in Paradise, Nevada, headlined by a pair of title fights, John Jones versus Cyril Gaon fighting for the vacant heavyweight title, and Valentina Shevchenko taking on Alexa Grasso in defense of her flyweight belt. All for a pay-per-view that's really pretty great, pretty solid from the OC, top to bottom. They, uh, you know, yeah, they didn't, I got no notes on this one in terms of... I mean, I do still feel like even this one does benefits from the context of what we've been subjected to, like, I don't know. I could take like one more, like absolute banger, relevant action fight or something, but it's, it's a good card. Yeah. It's a good card. It's I'm just looking I... for, I'm just looking for things to complain about really. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know you, I, I, I know that <laughs> you need that. You need that. I mean, if you're not complaining, you're not living. Yeah. I'm only human. That's right. And that's the problem. <laughs> I've been trying. I have been trying to to to, to uh, solve that problem for years. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. <laughs> anyway, we're talking about the prelims card right now with a featured prelim bout: Cody Garbrandt versus Trevin Jones. Um, Ooh. interesting fight. Uh. It is exactly the kind of I, I'm just going to say this because I believe it, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. It is exactly the kind of fight that Cody Garbrandt should still be capable of winning potentially. Uh huh. That's it. Oh, okay. I don't. I, I don't. I, I I don't trust it. But no, I mean, I, I think what I was going to say is I think this has a very high probability of being a brutally dull fight. Yeah, which is why I think it's a, it's exactly the kind of fight that Garbrandt should still be able to win. Yeah. Also, um, but I mean, like, even that is a dull, like, that is actually, it has its own thrill factor to it. Like, Watching Cody Garbrandt try to navigate through an incredibly dull fight. Hmm. Like, this man is pretty much incapable of having an actually dull fight at this point because he is so, so deep down lost in his own torment of and tornado of like self doubt. He's got no love, Zane. He, he is absent of affection. It is no true. love in his life. No love at all, but I mean, like, you know, Cody Garbrandt could put on a thrilling fight at this point, shadow boxing. Like, I would still be like, man, that shadow might, <laughs> might clip, might clip him, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And he, like, if one, a light goes out in half the room, the shadow yeah. suddenly shifts, <gasps> he gets caught. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, I mean, the what the reason I say I think it might be very boring is that Cody Garbrandt in his you know, like so many MMA fighters waits till way too late in his career to try to make a dramatic change. Mhm. Having not sussed out earlier that there is something deeply dysfunctional in his game. Yeah, he's fallen into a 
a very different type of the Tyron Woodley trap, which is to build a game that when you are at your peak and everything is working perfectly, it feels like you solved MMA. Yeah. And then you, you lose a millimeter of advantage. You lose a fraction of a hair of a step of advantage and you realize that you built the bit, you conned yourself yeah. worse than you could ever imagine. Yeah. And and the adjustment he has tried to make is to become more like Tyron Woodley. Yeah. He's, he's become much more devoted to moving around and trying to be defensive and countering. Mm-hmm. And... Um, countering was already what Cody Garbrandt was good at. I mean, the mm. thing that always got him into trouble was trying to bum rush people and yeah. take their heads off with the same right hand four times in a row. And this happened three fights in a row. Yeah. So it's a, it's a reasonable adjustment to try to make. Um, but you know, he was never that for all of his counter punching ability. He was a pretty inherently aggressive fighter. Yeah. He would get in people's faces. And, yeah. He needed to march you down, faint, draw out the punch while right. you're backing up and then counter. He's a pressure counter fighter, right? Yeah. Very Conor McGregor-esque. Yeah, he still needed to have that initiative of just cornering the opponent or making them react. And so now it does leave him feeling very aimless. Yeah, Conor McGregor yeah. is not a very good counter puncher when his back's on the cage. Absolutely not. Yeah, and uh, neither is Cody Garbrandt, and it's just a shame that he landed the stupidest punch of all time and knocked out my boy off Ellison's out with it. <sighs> but uh, that was not like a fight where it's like, oh, I'm Cody Garbrandt looks great. No. Um, and Trevin Jones is also a counterpuncher, mm-hmm. a, 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 a an inherently passive counterpuncher. Yeah, who, one who is well, good at his best when he's on the back foot and you're coming after him. Yes, but it, you know, is is very much like Tyron Woodley in that it is yeah. where he's at his best. It's where he's most comfortable, but it's still not what you would call like a good complete back foot counter punching game. No, it is way he's not too much. Dropping. Yeah, way too much waiting. Yep, not really great defensively. Like a lot of MMA counter punchers, it's like uh, same time counters, like. Mm-hmm. You know, like ideally you're like making the person miss big and then you're hitting them while they're recovering. But for MMA fighters, it's why like the best counterpunchers are usually like incredible athletes because mm-hmm. it's just like I'm going to time you the moment you step in to hit me yeah. and hit you first. A, a lot of MMA fighters are what I would I, I, I would call trigger counterpunchers, which yes. is that every time they see their opponent throw, they throw. Exactly. You know? Which is the easiest kind of counter to hit, but also the easiest kind of counter to get wrong. Yeah. Uh, the riskiest. But, um, yeah, he, he is much more of what you would expect from a counterpuncher, which is to say he is patient. Mm-hmm. Very patient by nature. And I just kind of wonder how this fight is going to shape up. It's like Cody. We'll, yeah, go I on. I think I, I was going to say, I think what we will probably, probably see is a very tentative Cody Garbrandt early on. Very movement focused, very much trying to live behind a jab and some low kicks. Cody Garbrandt, yep. early in this fight, tried to make a guess. After a round of that, he will frustrate himself. Yeah. Because that is always the inherent, the inherent Achilles heel for Cody Garbrandt has always been Cody Garbrandt. 
Yeah, and that's that is not a problem that you solve by making him do something he doesn't really want to be doing. No. It's right. like when it's like when they tried to solve Tyron Woodley's problem after all these years by like, okay, now p- go ahead and and punch with Vicente Luque. You know, you've yeah. been passive for so long. Go out there and be aggressive. Go after this guy. It's like, yeah, well, too fucking late. Yeah. You know, that that would have been good advice 10 years ago. Yeah. And if and if it's still advice that he just fundamentally has difficulty following, that's something you like really fixate on in your drilling, you know, something to try to override that what is clearly an instinctive problem. Yeah, because yeah, doing that, you're just going to wander into space that if a fighter is uncomfortable in the space that they are in, yeah, then they're they're not going to be able to concentrate on things really important things like the punches coming at them. Yes. And and I, I think that for that reason, this is still – it is not close to impossible that Cody Garbrandt makes exactly the same kind of mistakes he's always made. Yeah. And does walk into just a devastating single counterpunch from Trevor Jones. Right. Who like, is, I mean, that's why I think it's, it's it's actually kind of a thrilling fight because – Yeah, yeah. We are going to be see. It might not be thrilling in like in terms of single moment strikes landed, but you are just going to be the whole time like – is this the moment where he just th- flushes it all down the toilet? Is yeah. this the moment? Because Trevin Jones, he do- he may not be the highest output. He may not be the slickest. He may not be the most creative puncher out there. But he has really good timing. He has yeah. solid form. And he will take enough of the spots given to him that, like, you know, had – had Javid Basharat not shown himself to be so tough and so dedicated and fearless, right? Trevin Jones had a you know he did the he did the right things to win that fight. He, he landed cracked. plenty of clean shots as as Basharat was on the way in. Yes, yeah. And he also, if it does take a fight devolving into a firefight for Garbrandt to make those mistakes, if that is the result of him getting frustrated by Jones's just complete passivity, uh, Jones is also easily 10 times tougher more durable than cody garbrandt the man can take a hideous ass whooping yep do you remember his fight with uh which was it i mean he got beat up pretty bad by barcelos but no it was the one with um chuck romanov valiev valiev yeah yeah yeah. valiev was killing him yeah he had him hurt like four times Mm -hmm. jones just would not go away yeah, and the, the the problem for for Cody Garbrandt is it's not even necessarily, and this is this is why it's I think been so hard for him to find his way out of these weeds, is that he's dealing he's dealing with a mental block on both both ends, which is if a fight starts going against him, or if he doesn't feel like the fight is going right, he gets frustrated and he gets aggressive. Yeah. And if a fight is going well for him, and if he feels like everything is flowing, and he gets and too excited, <laughs> he, yeah, and and he's doing really well, he gets excited and he gets aggressive. All paths for Cody Garbrandt lead to aggression. Yeah, which makes like getting that out of him is like where how? Yeah, you know, you you know have, what? I'm just gonna just on a feeling. I am gonna pick Trevin Jones. I am too. I, mean, yeah, I don't really even think it's really the smart pick. Like, no. I think Garbrandt's, Garbrandt is still so fast. Yep. Um, 
if he just made a couple technical jabs, like Garbrandt has such a good jab, and he uses it about three times per fight. All he has to do in this fight is sit in that middle distance, jab and low kick. Yeah. And be, you know, and be in and out, in and out of the pocket. Just step in, jab, step in, low kick, get out. Step in, jab, step in, low kick, get out. Step in, jab, step in, low kick, get out. Every now and then, throw a left hook in there, throw a right straight in there, throw a head kick or a body kick. But, you know, just keep these simple tools, bounce in, bounce out, never stay in front of the guy long enough for anything. Settle yourself in for three rounds of consistent kickboxing, and Jones will not match pace. Yep. It the 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 recipe is there for a very boring Cody Garbrandt win, but we have never seen him have that kind of fight, except kind of against Dominic Cruz and only because Dominic Cruz also has that, that is Dominic Cruz's kind of fight. Mm-hmm. So Dominic Cruz is going to co- constantly be taking, you know, he's going to be giving, taking space all the time. He's actually going to do the bouncing in and out of range for Garbrandt. Garbrandt does not have to do it. All he has to do is stand there and Cruz is going to take himself out of punching distance on, on Garbrandt. And given given a relatively slow pace, it's going to be Cruz who tries to fill that space. Yeah. So he gave Garbrandt just endless countering opportunities. And it was just, you know, it was one of the those t- moments where suddenly you're like, it clicks and you're just like, oh, my God. Like, how many people has Cruz fought that are actually really <laughs> just way faster than him? Yeah. And it was not a lot. And also he couldn't, like, ding Garbrandt. He doesn't. He, he yeah. got a little better with his punching form and is still not a power puncher. Mm-hmm. He was a pow- a non-power puncher with awful punching form in that fight. Yeah. And so just slapping Garbrandt is not going to do the trick when he's hitting you with, you know, again, Garbrandt as a pocket puncher is exceptionally good. Yeah. So, but otherwise, Garbrandt has never... You know, he's never been that guy who's just going to like, oh, I'm just going to stick and move and, you know, I'll just play the game for 15 minutes and not really worry about whether or not I'm going to knock you out or make something happen. Just rely on being fast and being and striking clean. And if he's not going to, you know, I, I, I can't I can't just. I can't take it for granted that he's just going to make that adjustment now. So if I'm not going to take take for granted that he's going to have a good, clean three-round kickboxing fight with Trevin Jones, I have to assume he's going to make a mistake. And at this point, with his psyche, with his hang-ups, with his, he has hurt his durability enough at this point, I think, through the, the punishment he's taken. That I just can't, I can't trust him to walk through the, a really bad moment if he gets caught in one. Yeah. So. Yeah, and it's usually a when it does happen, it's like a downward spiral too. Like that's he, what I mean. He's definitely sure. guy. He knows he can be knocked out. He freaks out. Yeah. And then and, either yeah tries to scare you off and gets into a horrible exchange or just shuts down. Like the, the first couple times, the first two Dillashaw ones, it was a 
Garbrandt, I you know, I I think durability has never been the core of Garbrandt's problem. Those two knockout losses to TJ Dillashaw, he ate like eight clean, huge strikes each time. He was he thought he couldn't be hurt. And he just you let anybody, you know. It's like standing there with a and some of the guys got a bat and you're like, what are you going to do? Hit me? <laughs> you know, like it yeah. doesn't matter how good your chin is if you're just taking those kinds of shots over and over and over again. But now. With the, the, the psychological crumbling that goes on and the wars that he has been through because of this. Yeah. Yet now, I mean, Car- you know, he's. He's out there moving and just kind of having a tentative kickboxing match with Kai Car France, and Car France catches him once, and he's nearly out like a light. Yeah, and like, you know, that is not where he was at with TJ Dillashaw in 2016. That's true. So yeah, I don't think he's ever had a great chin, but uh, I think it, it, it used to be good enough that he could rely on it the way he thought he could rely on it for most of his career, the way he thought he could. Yeah. He wasn't just getting one shot KO'd all the time for sure. Yeah, Ever. He'd never been stopped before. And there then, was one early in his career. Oh, yeah. there was okay. one punch KO'd in the third yeah. round of a fight. He was winning. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, otherwise he thought, you know, the chin is that he got caught once. It's whatever. It's fine. It happens. Yeah. And it really Dillashaw just was like, well, if you're just going to let me land every single right hand I throw, no matter how many times I throw it in a row, you're going to get knocked out sooner or later. Mm -hmm. And it's been a spiral from there. All right. Uh, Odds on the fight. Cody Garbrandt is a favorite. Opened at minus 150. Dropped to minus 170. Currently minus 173. Trevin Jones opened at plus 130, bounced up to plus 143. He's currently plus 143. I know it would be the worst loss of Garbrandt's career. I, I mean, honestly, I expected him to be a favorite, but that's actually narrower than I thought. Yeah. Sort of leads me to believe a lot of other people are feeling the, yeah, are feeling the uh, unprecedented closeness of a match between a former champion and Trevin Jones, who is never, ever going to sniff the title. Yeah. Um. So yeah, like it's I I you know I get that it's the worst lo- it would be the worst loss of Garbrandt's career, but Jones like his game is not made to thrive in the UFC, but he's a good, composed, very veteran fighter yep. who is skilled in most areas and can hit really well and hard and clean. And yep. And he's just yeah. one of those guys that to beat him, you you have to go out there and just take the advantage he's giving you. Yeah. You've got to seize the initiative. And, yeah, even if Garbrandt does that, it's a, it's proven to be a very risky thing for him to do. Yeah. Because, yeah, Garbrandt's own success leads to his own destruction these days. Mm-hmm. You know. All right. That brings us to a middleweight bout. Derek Brunson, Dorikus Duplessis. Oh, Yeah. And this is the fight of the card for me. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be fun as hell. Um, amazingly, Brunson might, you can correct, feel free to correct me on this if, if I'm wrong. 
Bertrand might be literally more technical than Duplessis everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I think he probably is. Like, certainly a better wrestler. Yeah, certainly a better wrestler. Uh, I would say probably a better grappler. And maybe a better striker. Certainly a cleaner, more composed striker. Yeah, at least until the point where he, like, gasses and starts to panic. Yeah. He is. He has turned into a significantly better striker. Another Henry Hooft product yep. that has really cleaned up his kickboxing. Yep. But Duplessis is just such a goddamn wild man. And you... And the thing is, too, is that, like, you know, Brunson is... Only, you know, he he's getting to the point where I expect there to be drop-offs in the things that he's been good at in the past. Mm-hmm. Where, like, he's 39. Is he going to be able to take somebody down and out and, and, like, exhaust them with scrambling forever? And exhaust them with trying to, out, to, to wrestle their way back against him? Is that going to start taking its toll on him that he can't do it mm-hmm. forever? When does that start? When, when does that cliff? When does that cliff encountered? I don't know. Yeah. Without that, I kind of have to pick Brunson mm-hmm. because he's just going to go out and get the first takedown he tries, and he's not going to have to work hard to get it because Duplessis will just run into him. Will just car crash his way into Brunson and see what comes out of it. That will give Brunson the ability to get top control. That will give him a takedown. Brunson is not Darren Till. He's not going to get swept off his feet because Duplessis tries to bully into him. No, Derek did to Darren Till what Duplessis did, but like cleaner. Yeah, and Ian Heinish tried this on Derek Brunson in 2019. Yeah. And just exhausted himself trying to outmuscle Derek Brunson. Yeah. And and Shabazian and Kevin Holland, like people have tried this against Derek Brunson his whole career. And they tend the ones who can make it happen. The actually the only person who who's made it happen has been Yoel Romero. He's he's the only person who's pretty much been able to actually uh Or a cannoneer to an extent. I mean cannoneer yeah. Cannoneer, it's true. But Cannoneer did get taken down right away. Yeah, but Cannoneer is just so strong and uh, has such great stamina. Yeah. But, that, like, br- he actually was able to test Brunson's strength. Yeah. And, and make him work really hard in the in the tie-ups and the wrestling. And that is, that is worth considering. Because Duplessis does not have any of Cannoneer's form. No. But he does have the strength and he does have... The cardio, where like yeah, he he's well, exhausted. sort of. <laughs> yeah, he has a he's, second wind. He doesn't. He doesn't. He never stops working. Yeah, I definitely I'm, gets visibly exhausted and like, not just a guy who like isn't as tired as he looks. Like he is tired. Yeah, he starts like stumbling around. It becomes way more hittable, way slower. But he he somehow recovers and he doesn't stop working the whole time. Yeah. So. There, you know, if Derek Brunson does not run Duplessis out of here and has to restart on the feet every time and he starts to slow down as rounds go on, 
Duplessis will just initiate more car crashes. We'll yeah. just slam into him and try more wild shit. Um, I'm I. I gotta pick Brunson. I gotta pick this to be the, the the point where that stops working. But if it do, if it's not, then you know, good on Duplessis. Yeah, I mean that's basically exactly my read. I just I just both of these guys just have such beautifully terrible fights, right? Um, and and yeah, there are a couple of key differences. I mean, Duplessis is like. I think he's probably about as strong as Cannoneer. He hits hard, but he's significantly worse technically. <laughs> yeah. And just, I mean, Trevor Peak could learn a few things from Pikachu Plus E. Yeah, but he's the only one. Yeah. Um like man, we were we were looking at at uh at the footage of Duplessis' fights uh, to get like a handle on his wrestling. And for all that it worked against Darren Till, and credit to Duplessis, he's always willing to try something offensively. Yeah. That's really the main thing that works against Darren Till is you just, you know, just try yeah. a takedown. It'll yeah, probably just, work. Just don't buy into the, the bullshit that Darren Till is cocked for the biggest, cleanest counter shot you've ever experienced in your life. Yeah. Just assume, actually, he's not going to do the thing and go after him and see what happens. Yeah. And also just in the specific realm of wrestling, yeah. Darren Till is genuinely a bad wrestler. Yeah. Um, so you may as well test that. But man, I watched. Uh, we watched Drinkus Duplessis, uh, the the first wrestling exchange in his fight with Brad Tavares. You probably don't recall this, so I'll describe it to you. He gets Brad Tavares to the fence. He gets a body lock, and he he goes for a suplex with all the confidence of a man who knows how to hit a suplex, mm-hmm. and absolutely none of the technique. Yeah. So what happens is he lifts Brad Tavares off his feet. And then just forcefully and confidently falls flat on his own back. <laughs> like Brad yeah. Tavares doesn't push him over. He doesn't reverse. He goes sailing and just lands on top of Duplessis because he doesn't arch. He doesn't twist. It's unclear if he thought it was going to be a suplex or a lat drop or something, but he just falls down really hard with Brad Tavares on top of him. Um, that I think is the extent of his actual wrestling ability is that yeah. go with things with full commitment and confidence and intensity, but just is a mess. Mm-hmm. So I have to assume that lacking Jared Cannonier's like poise, like the main thing Jared Cannonier does well as a defensive wrestler is like, he just sort of stays pretty stable and strong and you get him down and he will very stoically work his way back to his feet. That's the thing he's gained at middleweight. Mm-hmm. Um, Duplessis will literally like think he will be so fearless that he will make catastrophic errors that like Derek Brunson doesn't even have to expend any energy to get him down. He will just fling himself into bad positions. He is the most chaotic fighter I can recall ever seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the real thing is just given that Duplessis is just super comfortable being tired, is somehow like clear headed and thinking and I, I, I hesitate to say strategizing, but his thinking the whole time this is happening, um, that is not what happens when Derek Brunson gets tired. Derek panics. Yeah. And gets very uncomfortable. And we saw that in his fight with Cannoneer, where even after the first time he got tagged by Cannoneer, he came right back and hurt Cannoneer. Mm-hmm. You know, 
showing that yeah he he really has learned a lot about um staying tight with his striking and having much much better defensive reactions and knowing to come back with counters to stop a guy from overwhelming him but still just the uh, the the heatedness of these exchanges it did cause him to slow down and then he was panicking and completely falling apart and then yeah. he is a worse technical striker than Duplessis mm-hmm. like just like knock kneed stiff legged just like falling over with every strike he tries to throw the old Derek Brunson is still in there yeah and it's just waiting for a, a good amount of exhaustion to to rear its head mm-hmm. So I would be concerned about that, but I got to think that Derek is going to have so such an easy time getting to dominant uh, grappling and wrestling positions and likely smashing Duplessis while he's in these positions. Yeah. Like Duplessis is a very hittable man, a very durable man, but Brunson is a huge puncher and he can crush people when he gets a chance to ride them or sit in half guard or something. I am going to pick Brunson. But yeah. I, don't, I don't think it's at all unlikely that even if Brunson's – A, that Brunson just gets his clock cleaned randomly mm-hmm. at any point or that Brunson starts really strong and then when both men are equally tired, it is Duplessis that just starts yep. crushing him. Yeah. Because that's what he does. I'm so excited for this fight. It's like a it, – it is going to be like 18 car crashes happening one after the other. Like, yep. Uh, Brunson yeah. – the only thing more I could ask for is that they just sort of like wet down the canvas before these guys get in there. That's right. I think I think this fight, this, yeah, this fight should be on ice. Other than that, it's it's going to look like it's on ice anyway. Brunson opened at plus one thirty. It's currently at plus one ninety two. Uh, Duplessis opened at minus one fifty. It's currently at minus two thirty eight. That brings us to a woman's flyweight bout. Viviani Araujo, Amanda Hibosh. And uh Yeah, this is this is also this is also kind of a tough fight for me to call, honestly. Mm-hmm. We just talked uh earlier on the main card, Vivi, about Araujo. Uh, and you know, you mentioned the fact that she's really, you know, she she showed some nominal improvement against Alexa Grasso. Mm-hmm. Notably, you know, I feel like she's picked up her pace and her consistency on her form. Yeah. I mean, just having started from a point of being like a completely instinctive striker. Yeah. And somebody who burned through their gas tank pretty fast. She became more efficient. She relied on um, range tools that basically like were hardly there before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. and yeah, and also looked a little more like able to sort of blend between defense and offense. She just looked a lot more comfortable against Alexa Grasso mm-hmm. than she had previously. Um, so yeah, it's tough to say like how far to take those improvements. Again, it, it, I think that the fight also served to highlight a specific problem of Grasso's, which is that against an opponent who is just of like similar length and is just willing to throw at the same time as you, the fight is going to be close. Yeah. Yeah. Grosso can't stop you from hitting her if she is stepping in to hit you. Uh, or she at least can't stop you from trying because you, you know when she's coming. Um, so it's, it is a little tough to know how much Araujo has actually improved. How much she may continue to improve, if so. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I was also dead wrong about uh, Amanda Hebush versus uh, Caitlin Chukagian. Yeah. When we picked that one. I really um, thought. We, uh, oh, you thought you did? You pick 
he must to win? I'm pretty sure I did. Yeah, I think you did, didn't you? Yeah. And um, I'm trying to remember what your like specific points were then. You were talking about... My points were m- mostly that he was... Or that... Chukagian is big enough that I didn't exp- I, I didn't trust that he was, could just take her down and hold her down. And that uh, Hebus has also never really, you know, she, she's never had to deal with somebody who's really functionally just longer than her and puts out a lot of strikes and can match her pace. Yeah, which, again, makes it important how much Arojo has improved or how much that was a factor of her fighting, fighting Alexa Grasso. Yeah. Cause basically the same dynamic could easily exist in this fight mm-hmm. where he herself has a serious problem of not just getting hit every time she steps in to hit somebody. She, well, I, I mean, he was, he was striking is technically bad at all ranges. <laughs> yeah. Like there's no good point. Yeah. Of Hebus is striking. Her strength it's, is that she's really feisty and no, and blends things together. Yeah, she she's, she's she pretty knows, smooth for for having no yeah real foundation of solid technique. She knows how to transition. She knows where she's going, and she knows what will get her there, and she does it. Yeah, but it's all mess all the way through, which is why you know not only could Marina Rodriguez knock her cold but so could Pollyanna Viana yeah you know yeah so I don't know I mean I think Arojo is a faster and better puncher I think she's definitely gonna get a lot of even exchanges and I think she's also just proven to be like a very physical fighter mm-hmm. Um, I can't actually recall a lot of instances of somebody like who has cleanly taken Arojo down? Let's see. Um, uh, she's, um, she's got statistically that's... pretty rock solid takedown defense. She got taken down once by Andrea Lee, once yeah. by Montana De La Rosa, and that's both, it. Both surprisingly decent wrestlers. Yes, um, I, I would also say that you know, and, and I, neither, I would. Ex- oh, sorry, ne- neither netting much time at all on top of Arojo. Yeah. Being a good athlete, she is just seems to be naturally a very good scrambler. Yeah. She she definitely does not uh she's definitely a stronger and faster than a lot of her competition in that division. Just a naturally really good athlete. And yeah, otherwise, I mean, you know, uh Montana De La Rosa and uh, was one of six on takedowns, mm-hmm. and Andrea Andrea Lee was uh, one of two. Both actually better wrestlers than they are athletes. Yeah, and yeah, every, nobody else has succeeded. Yep, she stuffed unsurprisingly five of Roxanne Modafferi's attempts. Um, Hebush is, you know, a, a solid enough athlete and a pretty decent wrestler. Again, her real strength is the ability to to transition from one thing to the other yeah but um i kind of think this may look like hebush being stuck at range i wouldn't be surprised if she succeeds on one takedown i would be you know she that head and arm throw she does yeah 
it's not what you know it's not what anybody wants to see but she does it really well yeah and she surprises the hell out of people because it's we talk you talk about with the Cormier thing and like how he always stresses you get to your position do the thing yeah get to your get to the the advantage advantageous position and instantly transition to the thing that that position gives you yeah he was she gets that head and arm. The moment she gets an arm around your head, you are flying through the air. Yep. There is she's a, no she's delay. A very fluid fighter. Yeah. But given that uh, the, the biggest thing I took away from the uh, Araujo's fight with Grasso is that just how much more comfortable she looked staying at range. Mm-hmm. Um, that this was both a much more consistent output for her. Uh, and yet it wasn't like she was in there being insanely aggressive. It was a lot of jabs, a lot of straight yeah. right hands from outside. Um, and, you know, now that I think about it, I mean, I, I kind of do just envision Hebush running into a lot of those. Yeah. I mean, she is going to run into everything. She, exactly. She not yeah. dodge anything. It's n- no part of her striking game is based on her ability to yeah. get out of the way of something. And Arroyo just being super quick to react to takedowns, extremely good at scrambling out of takedowns that do succeed. Um, yeah, I guess I I, I like uh, I like Viviana here. It should be. I mean, it is a great testament to Hibush's quality that. Uh, let me double check this before I say something stupid. That. She was able to handle Mackenzie Dern on the mat mm-hmm. and to, you know, tangle with her and just beat her. It is a it is a great testament to the, you know, the confidence and the fluid, the, the confidence she has in the fluidity of her game. She's super confident everywhere. Yeah, yeah, everywhere. It is also worth noting that the best striker she's ever beat is Randa Marcos. Yeah. You know, her 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 successes in the UFC are Verna Janjaroba, Paige Van Zant, Randa Marcos, Mackenzie Dern, Emily Whitmire. Yeah, and the new the the new improved striking Verna Janjaroba would probably beat her. <laughs> like maybe, just having maybe not. But yeah. just having the same level of wrestling and grappling and any confidence at all on the feet, like, you know, she, she was somebody Roba's who... Roba's always going to be hung up on the fact that she's not a very good athlete in the way that Kiba yeah. is a very but good But I just athlete. mean she was yeah. she was able to cow her in that fight, yeah. and, and that is something that John Jadova seems to have addressed pretty well. Yeah. Uh, um, even that. I would not confidently pick Hebush in that fight now. No. They would be, it, would, it, 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 would be, uh, it would be an interesting fight to run back, but... It is, you know, fighters that have been able to hang out with her standing have been able to beat her. So, yeah, yeah. I think at that point I got to pick Vivi Araja. Yeah. That yeah. darn win that really pumped up Hebush's mm-hmm. uh, stock early in her, her UFC run might be a little bit more of an aberration long-term in her status as a contender. Yeah, it's just, I mean, the the more time that passes, the more fights that pass, it just looks much, much more like an indication of how bad Mackenzie Dern is at MMA. Yeah. 
Because like really, she just shut Dern out of the one phase that she does really well. Mm-hmm. And, and was not out ever by Dern's power standing, which a lot of other fighters no. have been. Which is one another Mark and Hebish's favor is that, you know, it, 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 she has to be this way with how hittable yeah. she is. Yeah. She just doesn't care. Yep. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, unless she can somehow bank some control time on the ground against Arojo, which basically no one ever has, um, it just seems like Arojo is a a more accurate and, like, self-contained striker. It, and Hibosh is, is just going to give her openings over and over. It is also worth noting that Hibosh's only submissions, she is clearly not a bad grappler at all, no, but no. her only submission wins have come over some of the worst grapplers she's faced, which are Emily Whitmire and Paige Van Zandt. Yeah. You know, nobody else has been submitted by her at this level. Yeah. So, yeah, if she's not going to submit uh, Araujo, who herself has never been submitted, yep. then, yeah, it does seem like a fight that Araujo can win. Uh, odds on the bout. Araujo is the underdog, open at minus 110, jumped up to plus 110, bounced up and down a little bit more, but currently at plus 102. Hebush opened at minus 110, dropped to minus 135, is currently at minus 125. Kind of surprised by that, to be honest. Uh, yeah, like, she just has... She, I guess they're effectively even, but why? I mean, like, Hebush just got beaten by Chukagian and... Meanwhile, Araujo's loss is to the woman fighting for the title on this card. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, Chukagian has been a pretty stalwart fighter. uh, Araujo herself lost more definitively to Chukagian. True. um, Because she did not press as hard a fight as Hebush did. And uh, Hebush is also just like the most bubbly, likable fighter out there. So people... I love her over a really good impression of her from fight to fight that I guess I get. She is very charming. Yeah. I think, I think we're both, this might be a case where like Hebush was better against Chukagian than Araujo for reasons that might make her more likely to lose to Araujo. Yeah. And it was also a, I think a lesser version, like a a lesser version, a less well-prepared Araujo. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll find out. Mm-hmm. It's a good fight, though. Well booked. I like it. You know, yeah, I think it should good. be close. It should be even. Hebush is going to be a live dog in divisions where people don't tend to get a lot of finishes. Women's yeah. straw, women's flyweight, being relentlessly aggressive and good at transitioning, it will take you a long way. You know. Yeah. So. She's just feisty. I mean, that, yep. that counts for a lot. It does. All right, that brings us to a middleweight bout. Julian Marquez, Mark Andre Barrio. And, um, yep. This will be a fun sort how of could it, How could it not be fun? Yeah. <laughs> fun is the lowest bar this fight must pass. Yeah. You don't book this fight if it's not guaranteed to be fun. It'll be fun. Yeah. And, uh,. I it also looks to me like a very winnable Julian Marquez fight. I've been impressed with what Mark Andre Barrio has done in his UFC time. He has added 
one one twos to his game. He's he's added like a middle distance. I can throw multiple strikes at a time kind of thing to his game. Mm-hmm. He used to just lunge in and try to hammer somebody into the yeah, clinch. Exactly. He's added some nuance to his game. It's really good. He's tough. He's super durable. He's very uh, determined. He pressures a lot. Mm-hmm. But just adding that has been like a really nice little piece to put on to his his overall skill set. It makes him middleweight is a division where like you know there are a lot of Jordan Wrights, Dolce Lundjiambulas, and Abu Azaitars in the uh-huh. world. Mm-hmm. But it is notable that even with the improvements in Barrio's game. Uh, it is really self-destructive fighters that he has been able to beat. Yeah. And true. Marquez is a brawler, but he's not a self-destructive brawler. The well, big... No more than just a brawler innately is. I mean, he yeah. certainly didn't do anything to help himself survive against Gregory Rodriguez. Yeah, although, but I would, I mean, I think, unfortunately for him, and I don't think Barrio has the tools to make him pay for this, because Barrio is not, uh, you know, he's not a seriously heavy-handed finishing threat or anything like that. Um, not Not bad, but... You know, not like an easy one-punch knockout artist or lockdown grapple. He's a big, big, strong dude, but they are mashing hammer punches. They're not, yeah. like, surprising, well set up, etc. Yeah. With, without that, uh, like, what the, pro, the, the place that I worry about with Marquez, and I don't know that it's going to get any better because he's probably, uh, he's, I don't know where he's training anymore. Because yeah. he was a James Krause guy. In fact, I could get over to his uh, Instagram really quick. Yeah, that's always the way to check. But, um, you know, it has, let's see, uh, Factory X. Uh-huh. His game is is in flux in that I think he's trying, he doesn't want to brawl. He is, no, he's, he's trying to become a kickboxer. <laughs> he's trying to become a kickboxer, and Gregory Rodriguez just pantsed him for it. Because there was a, you know, and we even saw, like, with Gregory, with, with Rodriguez's, like, one fight later, uh, two fights later, I should say, with Bruno Fer- Ferreira, mm-hmm. like, if Marquez had just been super confident about stepping in and punching Rodriguez, the punch is like it, it's not like there's not room to land. Yeah, it's it's one where like a Marquez who just came in immediately doing what he resorted to doing at only after getting hurt. Yeah, like it would have been closer to fifty fifty. Yeah, he might have just clipped Rodriguez. He came out being like, okay, well, let's try to set some things up. Let's get started. Ease my way into the fight. And Hadri was like, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. What are you going to do about it? And then he tried, He was like, oh, I guess I'm going to lunge in and just ate a huge shot. And that was it. Yeah, Just letting Rodriguez work on you is a very, yeah. da- very dangerous thing to do. He's super comfortable. Super fast starter. Fights yeah. really long behind his power. 
yep. just will chew you up if you hang back and are like, well, I guess I'll find out what you're going to do. Yep. Great shot selection, sets things up well, absolutely. Yeah. That is not Barrio. No, <laughs> no, it's, it's not. not. Barrio is a masher, and you give Julian Marquez a masher, and usually he comes out on top. Mm-hmm. He's got a knack for fighting his way through really hard spots and for, you know, jumping on opportunities and for fighting hard in the clinch and all that. I will say, it is a uh, it is a worry that he lost to Alessio De Chirico, mm-hmm. who is also something of a nothing wall of generality mm-hmm. and physicality. But he also, you know, head kick KO'd Phil Hawes. Like, there's just more dynamic moments to Marquez's game that. Barrio can't create, so I'm going to trust him to, to pull out a win. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, the thing is, is that I still don't really like the way that Marquez is trying to improve. No, I don't like it either. I just like don't. It is a classic MMA overcorrection. If anything, Barrio yes. has taken better steps to just sort of Oh, yeah. Continue being Mark Andre Barrio and just add things. As you know, I, I started saying that I like what Mark Andre Barrio is doing over the course of his UFC career. Yeah, I do. I just don't think that it's, you know, it's coming from a place of being a less dynamic fighter. Yes. And building around that. And Marquez is coming from a place of being a more dynamic fighter and trying to claw that back. And I still just think there's a basic dynamism just does a lot for people. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that's Especially just... when Barrio's not any kind of amazing wrestler or control fighter. Yeah, that would help. Because the other thing is that Marquez is a shockingly good and dangerous submission grappler. Mm-hmm. That tends to be because his fights, his classic fights are so chaotic. Yeah. It tends to get there very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, or or sooner or later, it, it goes to the ground, and that often is the place where, like, after a 50-50 knockdown dragout brawl, he suddenly has, like, a real advantage. Yeah. It just, just gets on somebody's back and strangles them. I still just... The, my, my concern is that Barrio is... Like, if you're just going to give Barrio time to work, he will actually, like, you know, he can actually, like, set up his punches now. He... Yeah. Like you said, he's he's developed a decent enough jab. If you like overload on a counter, which is what I have seen Mark has doing, mm-hmm. then he will like slide back out of range and maybe ding you with a left hook on the way out. And he will also press his way into the clinch. Um, and, and all of the, the passivity from Mark has, I, I got to assume that he will just be shaken back to his old ways sooner or later. Yeah, that I, my feeling is just sooner. Yeah, that. Um, but but I do think he is going to kind of let Barrio look pretty good. Like that, that just seems likely because I just do not like uh, the the new direction he's taken, and it's likely just a um like a an adolescent phase, like most mm-hmm. fighters go through when they make a massive late career overcorrection. 
uh, and he'll get better at it over time. But I haven't seen him actually. The the thing he's trying to do hasn't really worked yet. No. It's like when the fight goes chaotic and he turns back into Julian Marquez. Yeah. And it's like with with him losing his coach too. It is really. It feels even less sure that he's going to be like, oh, now I'm really comfortable in this yeah. situation that I'm in, trying something else, you know, trying a new advancement. Yeah. So I'll side with you and take Marquez, but I'm 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 not really all that confident in it. Oh, I'm not confident at all. I mean, have, have I fooled you into thinking <laughs> that I am like? I know I, I I know every now and then I hear from people, especially our hate listeners, uh-huh. which we have a few who are like, "Oh, you were so confident about X, and you turned out to be wrong." Ha ha ha! And I'm just like, "Man, no. what's, what's uh, look?" I'm talking about this for fun. What's the point of me talking about it if all I ever say is I don't know? Yeah. You know, I, I make my reads. I'm going to stick by my reads. If they're no, wrong. we should actually, I'll, we I'll should start, read. we should switch to just not, not making any picks. Yeah. Just talk about every fight and be like, well, I don't know. I, don't know. I mean, analyzing way. fights is what I'm good at. Picking them is what I'm worst at. So, yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. I think the wise listeners of the show, uh, listen with that in mind. Like, yeah. I'm going to listen to these guys to get a picture of what the sort of dynamic is. And then I'm going to use my own intuition and my own reads to complement that and come up with a pick that I can use to squander my meager savings. Our, our, uh, one, one of our longtime hate listeners, he tried to be like, oh, yeah, you said Narulo Alia was going to get like blasted by Rafael Alves. And then after the fight, you're like, wow, Alves made some terrible decisions. And <laughs> I still think he might have won. And I was like, just like, what? Like, I'll stand by this, Reed. Like, <laughs> all have was a blanket out there. He showed up with more Jeep ground pound. I love to see it. Happy uh-huh. about that. He also ate, like, a massive flying knee at one point from Alves. <laughs> it nearly cleaned his clock, and he did. He, he survived. He gutted his way through it. I still think it was bad matchmaking on the UFC to book that fight. But... No, no, no. Every every comeback is a, is a proof that fights should never be stopped. And every uh, every prospect win is proof that prospects should be thrown to the wolves immediately, no matter what. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, that's why Lando Venata is currently contending for the title. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, I'll take Julian Marquez as well, but I think he's going to have to basically be shaken out of his. Yeah, I think shaken out of his newfound pretty, ways. Pretty early, I think Barrio will press him, push forward, clinch up, start clinching up with him. And that'll really bring out the classic good parts of Marquez. Yeah. Barrio's just not a very dynamic fighter. He just isn't. Mm-hmm. Barrio opened at plus 128, dropped to minus 130. He's currently at minus 151. Um, Marquez opened at plus, minus 148, jumped up to plus 113. He's currently at plus 124. I wonder if people are fading Marquez over the James Krause situation. Maybe. Um, I mean, I know he got knocked out by Gregory Rodriguez, but that's not Barrio. And Barrio just got uh, choked out by Anthony Hernandez. Yeah. You know? who is? I, I mean, Barrio comported himself better against Hernandez, but that's only because he was, like, surviving and didn't just collapse. Yeah. Barrio. And, and Hernandez is a very different kind of fighter to Rodriguez. Yeah. When Hernandez beats you, it's going to be doing everything for 15 yeah. minutes. Hernandez is, is what, what if he took Marquez – 
And instead of clawing back the best parts of his game to try and change it into something new, right? you just improved all the best parts of the game. Yeah, you just honed his desire for endless chaos. Yeah, and you just push it forward and you see where you get how far you can get with it. And we look at Alexander Hernandez or, or uh, yeah, Anthony, Anthony Hernandez. And uh, he looks like a, he looks like a really good fighter right now. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah. Just a little reminder that you could support the MMA vivisection, the MMA depressed us and the sixth round post fight show simply by going to patreon.com slash MMA vivisection with three different tiers ranging from $3 to $7. It's incredibly easy to show support to your favorite analysts, Zane, Connor, Eddie, and Phil. So if you have a few dollars to spare, please consider us. Thank you so much. All right, that brings us to a welterweight bounty and Gary Song Kinan. Uh, Kinan heading up the list of dudes that I really wasn't sure were in the UFC at all anymore, but apparently <laughs> is. And uh, he's fighting Ian Gary, which uh, mm-hmm. is some very, you know what? Gary must have a good manager. Yep. Because that, <laughs> that was my thought as well. This is some good, slow, this is a complete sidestep from the Gabe, Gabe, Gabe Green fight. Yeah, honestly. If, if anything, a slight backward step, at least yeah, in terms maybe, of like... Maybe even a step back. The difficulty, the fraughtness of the of the fight itself. Yeah. Um, which I think kind of makes sense. Like, you put Gary in there in a seriously tough test where, again, we were both super impressed. Yeah. That Got was nothing like, but good things to say about Gary's heart and his toughness and his ability to improve, figure out what he's doing wrong and try and yeah. fight around it. And just stay super disciplined and sharp, yeah. Like, consistently through a, yeah, a really hectic fight. Yeah, he was just yeah being in control of Gabe Green for three rounds is uh, quite impressive to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and now it makes sense. Like you get that, and then your manager's like, okay, now let's feed you one where you just get to feel like the coolest, baddest man on the planet. Yep, because that is kind of what I expect this fight to shake out like. Yeah, Sonkinon has always been a. I mean, he's big. I think that's like the main thing that yeah. makes Song Kinan good. He's not, he's 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 six feet tall, which is tall, but it's not that tall for for welterweight. Yeah, but he's just big. He's a large man. He's very broad. He's got long arms. He hits pretty hard. And yeah, he doesn't have long arms. He's he's just kind of got like a maybe big, it's just the shoulders. It's just broad across the shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he you know, and, and he. He's also like a pretty cautious fighter. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't like take a lot of undue risks, and so yeah, people have to like close the distance on him and make mistakes, and he can crack them. And then otherwise, he isn't just like throwing the fight away. So he is like you know he's kind of a classic gatekeeper kind of talent. Yeah, and uh, Ian Gary's already passed the gates. Yeah, he's going to be way busier. He's going to be. I mean, I have to assume. He's going to feel like it, even if this isn't true, but I, I assume he has longer reach. 74 inches, what was Sunken yep. on? 71 and a half. Yeah. Longer reach. I think he, God, I think he might even be taller. He is, he is three inches taller. 
he is, he is, he is literally a huge welterweight yeah, in terms of so, just bean pole height. He's going to be towering over a guy where size, I think, is one of his best defense uh, mechanisms. Yep. Um, he is going to be touching him at a range where Sonkinon is, again, like low output and really needs opponents to like recklessly rush him to be able to mm-hmm. catch them. And I also think Sonkinon is, uh, I think he'd probably have a lot more knockouts in his record if he was a messier fighter. Yeah. Because I think he's he's kind of chinny. Yeah. Like, he hasn't been knocked out a ton of times. There's a reason he doesn't take a lot of chances. Exactly, yeah. He hasn't been knocked out a ton of times, but he gets shaken up in many fights. And, like, it didn't take a lot for Max Griffin to put him fully to sleep. Nope. It was, like, one glancing shot, like, across the side of the jaw. And then the follow-ups, it was, like, a jab that just slept him. Yep. Which is not a good sign. And if we're talking about, hey, you know what? Ian Gary having major obvious flaws he needed to fix and like, like trying to address them and really impressing us with like, you know, the, the clear control and the uh, attitude with which he seems to be approaching his fights. Mm -hmm. He is training at Killcliffe. Just kind of expect him to continue just patiently improving. Yep. Thank God. An Irish fighter who didn't go to SBG. Right. Good for you, Ian. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. No uh, kidding. Yep. And that also, you know, just seems like a very natural fit. I, I hope that works out. Yeah. Just just patiently just be like, here are one twos, fight fight long. Here's you know how to work a hook off your jab. Here's how to, you know, just stay defensively mindful in the pocket. Really simple stuff. It would all. It's all good. Going to be good for him. Mm-hmm. And he's already good enough for me to very confidently pick him over. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Odds here. Gary is a heavy favorite. Over not, at minus three seventy five. Currently down at minus seven forty eight. on up at plus three ten is currently up at plus five oh nine. Ian Gary via TKO KO is minus one twenty. So. Yeah, I mean, if you have to bet on the fight, I guess you'd do that, right? Yeah, I, mean, I expect fully that Gary's going to knock him out. If he doesn't, yeah. actually, that would be a little bit of a disappointing performance from him. Yeah, honestly, if you're going to be getting these sort of sidestep layups after a career-best performance, you should, uh, you know, maybe get a little work in. Yeah. Warm yourself up, but you should probably, at some point, stop the guy that you're facing. And I, I think he's perfectly capable of doing that. Yep. All right. That brings us to a bantamweight bout. Cameron Simon against Leomana Martinez, or as Dominic Cruz calls him, Mana Martinez. <laughs> is that? Yeah. I, I don't know if that's necessarily wrong. How is it supposed to be pronounced? It's, I assume it's mana. Just mana. It's just Mana. Mana. Martinez. Mana. Yeah. Mana. Mana. Mana Martinez, but he, he's he is full of full of trepidation about the M A N A, and it's just like Mana. Man- <laughs> <laughs> There's like a question mark on the end of it every time he says it. Mana, Mana, yeah, Mana, Mana out there. He's just tried to avoid it most of the fight after getting. Man, I uh, love watching this guy fight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, John. Right. Oh, uh, and this is 
a very low level bantamweight bout. Um, yeah. Simon is. This is my main my main feeling on like just outwardly just praising this card is like this feels like the first time all year that we've gotten two bantamweight fights on a card. That and you're just not, not excited for. They're not yeah. good bantamweight fights. Like, yeah. where are the bantamweights, Zane? I need to know. Where have they hidden them? What is, something's wrong. Like, yeah. where are they? Uh, Martina, or, so apparently Simon trains out of the same gym that uh, Drikus Duplessis trains out of. Oh. And, man, doesn't that just make sense? <laughs> yes. Because... You watch his UFC debut fight against uh, Stephen Koslow, a much less athletic, uh, much slower fighter. And uh, Simon just threw himself at Koslow over and over and let himself get taken down and then had to just work like crazy to get out of bad spots and uh, end up getting a, a late win because he, much like Drikus Duplessis, can keep fighting with confidence and power late in fights, late in tough fights. That's kind of a problem against Mana Martinez, who yeah. is very much the opposite, a fighter who has learned lots of good technical things about fighting and is married to a, the, a body that is just not very athletic. Yeah. Like, I, uh, looking at Martinez's record and seeing the amount of canceled fights on it, mm. going all the way down through his regionals, like, I would not be shocked if Martinez is getting injured pretty often in training. Just because he seems like a guy who he, he fights like a fighter who has advantages that he doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, it's very like I'm going to confidently step in on a hard one, too. And the fact that my foot movement is just a couple steps slower than it should be leaves me open to getting countered really hard if my opponent is confident and can stand in against me. And if they can't, he lights people up. You know, he caught Brandon Davis at a point at, at uh, a continued low ebb in Brandon Davis's ability to recover from being a brawler who just gets beat all the time. Mm-hmm. And he just went out there and tuned Brandon Davis up for a lot of that fight to squeak out a split decision. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And let's not mention the Ronnie Lawrence fight where. Yeah. Ronnie, he made Ronnie Lawrence look like a glory champ. Like, yeah, uh, he was just too slow and just kept trying to catch and just kept just running into everything. Like so yeah. easy for Lawrence to time every single step he tried to take into range. Yeah. And it it really is one of those things, too, where I don't think that I don't think Martinez does a lot of wrong things. You just like, I mean, this is going to sound very reductive, so I don't I'm going to say it because whatever. Mm-hmm. what I'm here to do. He is a kid who grew up as a black belt. Mm-hmm. I think he was, I think if I'm remembering correctly, he was like one of the youngest 
like karate black belts mm-hmm. at one point in his youth. Which is a real just shows you just how meaningful a karate black belt is when they yeah give it to a nine year old or whatever. <laughs> yeah, let me see if he oh he doesn't have like um. Martinez karate. This is not a knock on karate as an art form. It's a knock on like American karate. Yeah. Um, and what it has become. And he, yeah, he, uh, he started training at age three, and uh, you know, like. I think and, and was like a black belt by like age five or something, uh-huh. kind of thing. Yeah, not not a real distinction. And or he, yeah, he he started training karate at age four and was you know he was a super like prodigy young martial artist. And it's just like you know God doesn't give with both hands. <laughs> Like, he made this kid really good at martial arts, and then eventually, like, you're going to grow up with the body of somebody that's just not very athletic. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so there's a lifelong, like, oh, I can do this really slick stuff. And then people are just like, yeah, but yeah, I can just put a hand on your forehead and push you. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's also the thing with, like, I don't necessarily see Martinez, I, I guess, in the exactly the same light as you. It's like, he doesn't always look all that slick. Maybe this is a factor of, of, yeah, a factor of him being slow. But, like, when he does um, get something done, it tends to be, like, clubbing people. Like, he definitely has the boxing skill of, of what I would expect from a five-year-old karate black belt. Yeah. Like he he does just kind of wing a lot of ugly hooks too, and it, honestly, it's how he got back into the fight with Ronnie Lawrence. Yeah, that he just like had to muster the will to just run at him, and just accept that he was going to get hit and probably hurt again, and just hit him back. But yeah, definitely the speed is the major limiting factor that he is just frequently a step behind almost anybody that he fights. Yeah, and. I mean, the, the interesting thing about that is that he's going to do a lot of the right things to hurt and to uh, get to good positions with Cameron Simon. Mm-hmm. Like, Simon's takedown defense is bad. He backs himself. He's easy to back up into the cage. He's not hard to hit. Uh, and I don't think he's athletic. You know, he's not nearly as athletic and as big an athletic uh He's no Drikus. Oh, as Drikus Duplessis, yeah. Yeah. So Mana Martinez might win this fight just on doing the right thing first. I, I'm going to pick Simon, I think, but it is, you know, it is interesting in that it's just, I would say, not a UFC-level bantamweight bout. Yeah. And it's going to be competitive because of that. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I don't really know. I mean, you could really flip a coin for me on this one. Like, it's, as you said, it does not feel like a UFC level fight. Again, yeah. shocking that this is somehow like the bantamweight fight we get. This is the division where literally, I mean, I guess they proved me wrong. I've been saying, like, you could put two, any two unranked bantamweights together and it would be a better main event than all these light heavyweight fights. Not these guys. 
<laughs> they got me. Um, yeah. Yeah, I guess I don't know. I, I I guess I'll I'll take Martinez because you know he he is at least very tough and 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 and, and he's he's a determined fighter and he is going to pressure Simon and Martinez will go in there and try to do a little bit of everything. He's a very comprehensive martial artist in that way. And Simon is just like, I mean, his takedown defense is as good as Drakus's. We can say that. Yeah. Um, his striking defense is as good as Drakus's. I think the only thing that he really has going for him is that he does look like a marginally better athlete than Martinez. Yeah, I think he's he's probably better. He's but he's not way better. He's not no. Just like a... Yeah, yeah, and he just gets into such messy fights. I just feel like Martinez is a little better suited to actually find good positions and hold on to them. Mm-hmm. Like Simon is a really reckless, he, disorganized Martinez, fighter. You know, he beat Guido Canetti, which yeah doesn't is not like a, a huge highlight, but. Guys like Chris Mutinho and Randy Costa couldn't do it. Right. You know? Yeah, he's clearly good enough that he's not just... Uh, he doesn't look like the other guys we associate if, if with. If you're going to self-destruct in front of Mana Martinez, he will make the right reads. He will yeah. do the right things. He will hit takedowns. He will work top control. He will land one-twos and overhands. He will land low kicks and body kicks. He'll just fight a smart fight. Yeah. And I kind of so, think I kind of think that is Simon. Yeah, it might. I, I was leaning that way. I think I just kind of like talked my way out of it. He did. He, I did look up and find he did. He earned his black belt at seven. Great. So, yeah. yeah I also I also got to add him to the list of where is this former James Krause fighter training now? Because he was a Krause guy too, Martinez. Yeah. True. So, and I looked at his Instagram, but there's no like. Um, He's not tagging any of the gyms that he's no. posting pictures of him in, so I'm I'm not 100 percent sure where he is now. Yeah, and Tapology still says Glory MMA and Fitness. Yeah, Tapology's kind of usually lags behind on that. Uh, yeah, uh, the Sure Dog Fight Finder tends to actually be. Um, Do you have time to let that page load for 10 minutes? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if we can find out just while you look at the odds. Yeah, all right. Odds on the fight. Martinez is the underdog here. Opened at plus 155, bounced up to plus 200. It's currently at plus 241. Simon opened at minus 180, dropped to minus 255. It's currently at minus 302. He should not be that wide. I get that he's undefeated. I get that he's a contender series guy, but that fight he had against Steve Coslow should not fill somebody with confidence. I uh, clicked, I, I opened the sure dog page before you even started reading the odds. And I just want to tell you that, Oh, it just now stopped loading ads. Okay. Great. So glad that got bought by some, <laughs> some VC assholes. Um, uh, sure dog fight finder also still says glory MMA. So okay. we don't know. We don't know. All right. That brings us to a woman's strawweight bout, Jessica Penne, Tabitha Ricci. Um, 
the Cody Garbrandt versus Trevin Jones. Of yeah, Lewis right. Trollway. Like, okay. Um, I think this is you. It is supposed to be me. But I'm just gonna say, okay. I'm actually. This is not like Garbrandt Trevin Jones. I am inherently somewhat interested in the dynamic here. But it is uh-huh. almost certainly because the fight looks absolutely miserable. Yeah. And I am not at all sure how it is going to get out, how it is going to, or if it is going to break out of that, and whether either woman can find a, like what they're going to do to win this fight. I have no idea. Because I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah, P- Penne in this stage of her career, I mean, she's she's still mean, you know. She's still yeah. uh, very tough, and, and she if you poss- give her the kind of fight that uh, Ricci is likely to give her, it's a fight Penne. It is the, her best kind of fight to win. Yeah, I mean, what is Ricci going to do if not like tie up and try to grapple with Penne? You know what the really annoying thing is? Penne is a big straw weight. Yeah. fights like a tiny straw weight. Yeah. And Ricci is a tiny straw weight who fights yes. like a big straw weight. That is true. Yeah, Ricci is very aggro. She is very like, here's an overhand, a power double into guard. Yeah. <laughs> like, I am Tito Ortiz, and it is 2010. Yeah. Well, and that's Pen- late for Ortiz. 2003. Yeah. <laughs> and Penne can only really posture like she's an aggressive fighter. Um, yeah. When, when she fights somebody who's just really passive or wants to fight off the back foot, she will just kind of walk towards them without cutting off the cage. And um, she is just a really awkward striker. Just yeah. kind of like it seems like, yeah, it's like she doesn't have the footwork, but then she has to like stop moving and plant her feet to let a good strike go. She strikes, she, she strikes like she's on roller skates and she doesn't know how to roller skate. Yeah. Like somebody has pushed her forward in the octagon. Yeah. And the skates, there's not a lot of moment. It's just a little push. So it's just a very slow roll that she can't correct in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. And she's just going to punch while it's going, you know. She, she didn't get taught early enough, and she is no kind of natural striker. Yeah. So, um, but, uh, you know, like still pretty dangerous to tangle with on the ground, and Rishi's yeah. going to do it. Yeah, I mean, Lupita Godina has lost to Jessica Penne. Right. Because yeah. she, she had to, she felt like she had to wrestle with her and she just got out, out grappled. Yeah. And, and the, the other thing is, is that for all of her aggression on the feet, Ricci is not like actually good at setting up her strikes. And I mean, I don't know how good you need to be against Penne, really. Um, yeah. But she really just like flings herself off to the side, like way out of position to actually land her shots clean. She fights like she's the biggest bully in the division. Yeah. Like like she is a five you know, like for, for straw weight, like she's a five foot she fights like she's just gone Drage. Yes. Like she's a five foot six, not that Andrage is anywhere near that tall, but like wrestler who just cut a ton of weight and is hulked up to hell in this division and is going to put like a grind on you with this beefy muscle body. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's like the cartoon where you see like 
the huge shadow of the giant. It's like a Tom and Jerry cartoon, especially when you see the huge shadow <laughs> of the giant bulldog walking towards Tom, and he's like shaking and cowering, and because there was, you know, there's a bulldog character that was one of the the core characters of the show. Of course, do you and think you like, have to explain Tom and Jerry to me? I, I don't know, but he's and he's got the arms out and the, the jowls and all that, and you know the and, and then like. Tom runs away and is like cowering somewhere where he can't see anymore. And then around the corner walks like the little tiny kid bulldog. Yeah. And that's, that's Tabitha Ricci out there. Very much so. <laughs> um, I don't know. I honestly have no idea. I think this yeah. is going to be a super razor close fight where nobody has a distinct advantage. Yeah. Like even if Ricci is going to make it a strategic, uh, you could call it a strategically unwise decision to like make Penne grapple. Penne is still going to, like, how much better is Penne than, like, Pollyanna Viana? Like, I, she's better, but yeah. she still, like, handled Viana just because she was willing to play guard. Mm-hmm. And, and like, and, Penne is, too. Yeah, like, Ricci is a, you know, she was a legit black belt grappler. Like, yeah. a high-level jiu-jitsu grappler. Yeah. So I guess I got to take Ricci. Because I just don't see the fact that she's going to go into the only place where Penne is actually good as like a death sentence for her. Yeah. Everywhere else, even if she's not good at it herself, she at least has an advantage in like willingness and confidence and speed. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, yeah, I just don't think she's like the likeliest person to like go for a head and arm throw and get backpacked like happened to Godinez. Yeah, I I agree. I, I think I'll pick Richie too, just because I think she's going to fight with, you know, a functional aggression that will get her into good positions and make that work. But it is just one of those, like, she, you know, she's going to throw an overhand from uh, at five foot one from a position where, where Penne's like robotic one twos rolling forwards boxing could land like mm -hmm. she can't really be out of range of penne this is a problem that uh oh danielle taylor had during her absolutely miserable ass fight with jessica penne yeah it was just like you, you guys both just are keep striking from a range where neither of you can punch each other right and then she's going to want to take her down. And that's really where Penne actually does good work. So I guess I'll take Richie too, because I feel like she's likely to just cut through enough of what Penne does to, to make it happen. But mm -hmm. it is, uh, it is, it is fascinating to me. Because it's just such a negative fight. Yeah, I don't like it. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like thinking about it. Yeah, We're indeed. Done. We're done. The now. mind, the mind rebels. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> yeah, just bouncing off of this fight every time I try to analyze it. Richie opened at minus two forty and is currently at minus two ninety five. Penne opened at plus 205, dropped down to plus 180, is currently at plus 236. Yeah, I hated that Ricci fight against Pollyanna Viana. Mm -hmm. Has to be said. Just like hanging out in, gra in guard 
blanketing, do going nowhere, making nothing. It was just ugh. Yep. Hideous. Miserable. All right. That brings us to a band and out. Damam Blackshear, Farid Basharat. Oh, a bantamweight fight. Hold on, I didn't hear the names you just said. Yeah. <laughs> Surely uh, they they're really good and I know who they are. Uh, read, the, read those names again. Damon oh, Blackshear. Farid, okay. Farid Basharat. Okay. Not so... Javid Basharat. Farid Basharat. Okay. So the the guy who has yet to prove that he's good. Yeah. Uh, versus a Morrowind character. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Great. <sighs> well, it's you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um. <laughs> I think Blackshear is – he's got a very functional limited game. If he can out-wrestle you, mm-hmm. he is a very good wrestler and scrambler. Like really just, you know um, – oh, uh, what's what's his name? He debuted against – uh, Yusuf Zalal. Zalal is a pretty, you know, well-schooled grappler mm-hmm. himself, mm-hmm. and he just got out scrambled by Blackshear. By Blackshear, all fight. He was able to do other things that got it, made the fight a draw. But he kept tangling up with Blackshear on the on the mats, just assuming that because and Blackshear is he's as unfortunately for him, his he's. His, as easy to take down as he is good at taking people down. So he's not hard to start from a bad position. It's a shockingly common thing for MMA wrestlers. Yeah. He's not hard. So Black, so Zalal would go on like, you know, he might get Blackshear to the mat and other fighters have too, but holding him there and winning a scramble against him is actually really difficult. Mm-hmm. And he's just, he's pretty relentless with it. It's kind of all he does, though. And Bashrat, I have the sneaking suspicion, is more the fighter that his brother was. Just having seen what we've seen out of his brother, I will say that I think both Fareed Bashrat and uh, Javid Bashrat are better than I would you would think at first blush. Mm-hmm. They both have a lot of posturing they do. They both fight with a lot of bluster and bravado that makes you think like, oh, this guy is just going to get melted yeah. the first sort time. Sort of specifically gets... designed to trick people like us. Yeah. Who are used to trying to look past that posturing and be like, is exactly. he actually good? We just almost yeah. assume that they can't be as good as they're pretending. Yeah. And for Javi, certainly uh, he's very tough. Yes. He is tough enough to make it that his blustering and bravado works really well for him because he then follows that up with a fairly consistent output Mm -hmm. of creative strikes. And if you're going to be really tough and you're going to pressure a lot and you're going to strike creatively and you have the ability to counter punch as well, you've created a pretty functional MMA game that can beat a lot of people, even if you're Mm -hmm. not nearly the power striker that you try to show people that you are. Fareed Basharat is also not nearly the power striker he tries to make it seem like. He's not all he's also not nearly as comfortable in the pocket getting hit as his brother is. Mm-hmm. Uh one of the first things if you go look at uh Farid Bashrat's older fights, 
one of the first fights you'll run into is his fight against Raul Guzman at War of Titans 2. <laughs> where Guzman, pretty like at, late in the first round of that fight, just clubs Boshrat stepping in with the bravado and the bluster and nothing else. And Boshrat goes like skating, skate stumbling away and barely survives the end of that round. But he survives and he comes right back out with the same bravado and confidence and wins the fight. Yeah. The other thing though, that that showed that his fight with Jane Alon and Kulmala showed, and that I would suspect that a lot more of his sh- fights showed if I felt the need to go back and watch them all, is that he kind of has to be able to out-wrestle people. Yeah. That is actually for Farid Bashrat. That discomfort striking, but that bravado and that push-forward pressure, he has to be able to tie up with you and take you down and hold you against the cage and slow you down and take that fight away from you because he's not going to do it with his striking all by itself. It's the safety valve as it so often is. Yeah. And I don't think he's going to do that against Blackshear. I think Blackshear is actually just, he might take Blackshear down. Maybe I think his single leg game is not nearly as impressive as Yusuf Zalal's wrestling game. Um, but Blackshear is just a tough dude to beat even when you take the advantage over him. And like, you look at the people who have beat him recently. I realize, you know, he lost to Chris Moutinho a while ago, but otherwise it's Pat Sabatini and Danny Sabatello. You know, it is really actually very good scrambling grapplers. And I don't think that Fareed Bashrat is that guy. So I'm going to pick Blackshear. Yeah, I suppose that kind of makes sense. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm i not really sold on Blackshear outside of the wrestling game. No, everything else seems to be pretty absent. Yeah. but Which is, um, I, I would assume, why Chris Moutinho could beat him just with relentless pace. And just right. a willingness to constantly stay in and throw all the time. But I don't see that out of Basharat either right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the fact that like one, one way or the other, they're like the fact that Demond Blackshear is pretty clearly uncomfortable and, and kind of vacant on the feet doesn't mean that the opportunities aren't going to be demanded of him or uh, that the wrestling attempts aren't going to be demanded of him by Basharat, you know, trying to get in his face, trying to yeah. pressure him. And even throwing himself into the clinches. Yeah. Because um, not like Boshrod has ever knocked anyone out. All of yeah. his wins are by rear naked choke. All of yeah. his finishes are rear naked choke. He has one head kick KO over zero and zero, now zero and two. Stuart Eskeen at uh, UCMMA 60, which is, you know, I love UCMMA. It is a cir- clown circus promotion <laughs> that famously sets up can crushing. Yeah. In England, you know, that's what they do. They are, if you, you have a guy that you need to get wins on a record so he can be booked in cage warriors, UCMMA will be his starting point. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, okay. I'll side with you. I, I do think, I mean, Basharat um, is I, like I, a... Uh-huh. I'm willing to be tricked because again, you know, like I say, yeah. Javi Basharat is the same way. Like, I look at these guys, I looked at these guys first thing and I'm like, I don't know. This doesn't look like, this looks like a lot of bluster and not a lot of you know, this works works against really bad opponents. Yeah. How is it going to work when you fight somebody better? Yeah, and, and I, I even like of, yeah. I even like some of the things that Farid does better than what I first saw to Javid. Like the thing I learned about Javid is that he is again, as you said, insanely tough. Yeah. Um, like I really like Farid's shot selection. Mm-hmm. He'll do a lot of stupid shit too, but I like when he, you know, sets his opponent up, jabs his way in, and then goes to the body. Mm-hmm. I like that he he uses a pretty healthy diet of feints. Like he's largely one and done, but I think he's yeah. a pretty tricky, clever striker. Yeah, he he and he and Javid both both seem like they they really learned feinting. You know, they they took they took early snapshots of Conor McGregor's game when it was very functional. Yeah, and they are trying to develop it. Yeah, you know, but he does pretty much always end up going to the ground. Yeah. Almost, yeah, regardless. Either he's stepping into the clinch or stepping into range where he can just be grabbed, um, falling in, or just sometimes just getting shocked and run off his feet. Mm-hmm. He, more so than Javid, does not look very physical. Yeah. He's a very willowy fighter. So I, I guess I'll side with you and take him on. When in doubt, pick the wrestler. Yeah, that's kind of my feeling here. Yeah. I'm willing to be. I'm willing to be shocked, you know. Yeah, which may in fact be the pick for the next one as well, but we'll see. Uh, Blackshear is a healthy underdog. Opened at plus three fifty, is currently at plus three fifty one. Boshrod opened at minus four fifty, is at currently minus four sixty four. I just do not like him nearly that much. Yeah, you know. Well, we're going to be wrong again. The yep. Basharat brothers will be the uh, the uh, the undoing of us. Yeah. All right, and that brings us finally to a lightweight bout: Esteban Rybovich against Loic Rajhabov. Is it Loic? 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 I don't know. It's Azerbaijani, I believe. I don't really yeah. know how to pronounce it. I think it's Tajik, actually. Uh, is it? Topology says. Say oh, you're right. It's Tajikistan. You're right. Okay. Who else? There was somebody else from Azerbaijan, wasn't there? Uh, yeah, we did really recently get an Azerbaijani fighter. But let me see. I'm just, I'm just going insane. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah, I mean, this one looks like another one where I may just end up saying, "When in doubt, pick the wrestler." Yeah, that is Rajabov. Tapology says I, don't, I haven't confirmed this is true. Also says he's yet another Henry Hoofs guy on this card. Uh, if so. Hasn't really showed up in his striking yet. <laughs> he seems more like the kind of uh, the problem with a Henry Hooft fighter yeah. is that it can be a very slow road. Yeah, where you are encouraged to strike a lot, even if you aren't comfortable with it, and the tools you are encouraged to use are very basic, and other fighters can just beat you. Yeah. Because those tools are not they're not advanced, and you're not very comfortable, and you're just you know he'll be out there and be like, go out there and throw one two, get used to it, try it, mm-hmm. and 
yeah, we certainly have seen fights with uh, Raj Shabav where he's just standing in front of people, not doing anything. Yep. And, and, and the thing is, is when he's not doing that, when he's being really aggressive and having bad technique, he looks like yeah. a pretty confident striker. Mm-hmm. So it, it maybe seems like, yeah, that process is underway, maybe even pretty recently. Yeah, where he's having his confidence clawed away to do things properly. But, you know, when he does things confidently, it's poorly. Yeah. Let me see if I can actually get an image of him in the corner from his... Yeah, again, not not a, not a necessary indication, but they look like like Tajik coaches in his corner in his PFL fight with Chris Wade. Okay, I don't see Henry Hooft anywhere anywhere to be seen. It doesn't mean he wasn't working with him, but that yeah. did not look like a fight of a Henry Hooft fighter. Mm-hmm. More so later, and even in his fight with like Rashid Magomedov, and maybe that's just because Magomedov is super good at distance management. Very very awkward, very awkward on the feet, and therefore awkward at setting up his takedowns. Yeah. And if he is in that state, there is a very good chance Esteban Rebovich will knock him out very quickly. Yeah. I haven't seen that he's chinny or anything yet, Rajabov. No, he's he has been able to ride through you know, he, he's never been knocked out. Yeah. He's he is able to take all the punishment. He is a he is a golem out yeah. there by all accounts. But Rubovich looks like a really nasty puncher. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, this is a guy who has a habit of one-shot KOing people. Yeah. Like knocking them stiff with a single left hook. And uh, the problem there is that uh, I just don't know very, very little about his wrestling and grappling. Yeah, I mean, I think we can assume that it's not very well developed. Yeah, I mean, I've seen him get into clinch types with people. I've seen him, he'll quickly go for his underhooks. But he really looks like he just kind of tries to bully people in the clinch, yeah, uh, and, without a lot of technique or direction. And that is a problem here because that is really, for more than anything else, I think with uh, Rod Shabab, I wouldn't be surprised. I'd have to look more carefully, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if he's like a uh, um, Greco convert, because he his his wrestling game almost all runs through his clinch. Yeah. And um if if uh Rubovich is not hard to clinch up then I would expect him to st- him to find a, a skill gulf there that he could take advantage of that's yeah, unlikely to be one that Rubovich is very well prepared for. I mean, the other thing is just, you know, Rubovich, he's a car crash fighter. He is a he is definitely a heavy-handed, sharp puncher, but mm-hmm. like that fight he had with Thomas Paul, he came close to getting knocked out himself. Yep. It is not a, oh, I'm going to go out there and be slick and like draw, you know, he's not Jack Della Maddalena out there. Who, no, he is, like we talked about before, just hair trigger. Yeah. You, you're coming at me, I'm going to punch at the same time as you. Yes. <laughs> Again, he's pretty sharp and accurate and fast with his hands, but uh, clearly very powerful. But yeah, uh, it, it is just a kind of gamble every single time. And I bet I'm harder hitting than you, and I'll hit first. Yeah. Um. So yeah, the real concern for me is just the Rajabov. Like, like yeah, I'm watching right now is his uh, his more recent PFL fight with Roush Menfio, and mm-hmm. this looks like a dude in the process of learning to strike. Yeah. 
he's really, really hesitant, overthinking a lot. Yep. Um, and you can see it that he like has the idea to throw a strike well before he does it. And then he does it and then he gets countered and he's like, oh, yeah. And then there's moments where he's just like, uh, fuck this and just runs in with a right hand and grabs a hold of Manfio. And he looks like a much more competent fighter. Yeah. So I think that is the concern here is the 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 car crash element early. Yep. And if the first attempts to clinch up are, in fact, tentative as they were against Manfio, um, that he just gets caught. Because, he, yeah. again, he still looks pretty awkward on the feet. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, we 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 are uh, we like Hoof because it's a process and we know the process and we can see the process. And that's a lot more than you can say of a lot of coaches out there. But you, ha- you can, you know, you don't have to go back that far to remember Gilbert Burns early in his time with Hooft. Yeah. And just getting pushed out there to strike with people. And you're just like, oh, my God. Why? Like, why are you doing? I I get that you're learning it, but Mm -hmm. why are you going out there and letting yourself get out kickboxed by Michelle Prezerish? Yeah. You know? So do I say when in doubt, go with the wrestler? When I think the wrestler is going to start the fight looking very awkward and possibly just get KO'd cold? I mean, I don't know. I, I'm going to just because he's never been knocked out before. Yeah, that's probably enough for me, too. And uh, maybe Rabovich is a huge puncher uh, and really can just do that to everybody. Or maybe he's fighting a whole variety of real dudes who just aren't, don't have the durability to be in this sport. Yeah, I mean, that's part of it, too. He's not fighting a lot of good fighters, and the guys he's fighting with experience are old. Yeah. And, like, even somebody like Thomas Paul that he he fought, like, you know, Paul has been knocked out. He, he got knocked. He, he was knocked out in round one early in his career in a UCMMA fight by some dude. He got knocked out in his next fight after Rabovich yeah. in round one. You know, it's even that is not a clear, like, oh, that dude is definitely, you know, starching that dude was definitely a huge, meaningful thing. Yeah, Knocking you can out, still look at the way he's putting yeah, them to sleep and say, it's true. this dude hits like a truck, but, yeah. um, you know, just hitting hard alone is not enough to beat a good fighter yeah. who has options. I mean, if, again, I think what happens if uh, if Rajabov panics is he starts to out-wrestle Rebovich. So as yeah. long as he can, he can just get hurt and not get put to sleep, then uh, I, I still just got to think it's going to become a wrestling match. Yeah, and, and if 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 uh, Rubovich goes out there and knocks out uh, Rajabov, I'll be I'll be right there and be like, damn, sure, that's impressive. That sure. dude has never been knocked out before, and he's fought dudes like Rash Manfio and Nathan Schulte, who are dangerous fighters. You know, yeah, he's fought a lot of good competition over in PFL. And he has never been chin checked like that. So, yep. all right. On that note, oh, uh, odds for the bout: Rabovich is a underdog here. Opened at plus two ten is currently plus two seventeen. Those odds have not been open very long, and just a couple few days. And Rajabov opened at minus two fifty is currently minus two seventy four. 
on that note, we're going to wrap things up. You can find me on Twitter at these ain't Sam. You can find Connor on Twitter at Boxing Bush. You can find both of us over at bloodyobo.com. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcast over on Bloody O Presents on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all those good places. And we will be back in one week's time with UFC Fight Night, Jan versus Dvalishvili. Just a little reminder that you can support the MMA Vivisection, the MMA Depressed Us, and the 6th Round Post Fight Show simply by going to patreon.com slash MMA Vivisection. With three different tiers ranging from $3 to $7, it's incredibly easy to show support to your favorite analysts, Zane, Connor, Eddie, and Phil. So if you have a few dollars to spare, please consider us. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Vivis Section, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, the Hey Not The Face Podcast, and Radio Style Play-By-Play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow Blog, and as always, on BloodyElbow.com. <laughs>